G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my great privilege to look with you at Haggai chapter 1 today. A couple of weeks we'll spend on this book of Haggai from the Old Testament. Uh, can I encourage you to have Haggai chapter 1 open? We're going to read the chapter, think about what it means and how it applies to us as Christians. Also, we'll help you to have the outline. Lots of New Testament verses particularly there as we think about applying it to ourselves as Christians. Uh, let's pray. We'll ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Please help us to understand it now. Please challenge us, challenge our priorities, challenge our affections that we may love you and long to serve you as number one priority. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about 17 years ago, uh, my wife Carmelina's parents, uh, they came into some money. They generously gave most of the money to us. And so we had to decide what are we going to do with this money? I talked to my dad about it, and he said, the thing to do is this, invest in real estate. He said, I know some people like shares, but you can't go wrong with real estate. Everyone wants to live in Sydney. The demand for houses here will never go down. You'll always make money, and if everything else goes wrong, at least you have somewhere you can live. So I started uh, to look into the idea of buying a property. Now, I have to say, I was amazed at how my life changed. Suddenly, I found myself able to join in conversations with Sydney people. Uh, I didn't realise what everyone had been talking about up until then, but I was suddenly able to discuss capital gain and strata levies and council rates and sinking funds. I could, I could join in the debate for the first time about the relative merits of positive and negative gearing. For the first time, I understood why people talk about the economy and interest rates and the Reserve Bank. All of a sudden, the vast majority of the newspaper became relevant. I've never realised before, most of the newspaper is made up of real estate ads. Previously, I only ever read the sports section. Before I started thinking about real estate, I had no idea. No idea that I was utterly unqualified to participate in polite Sydney company. Well, eventually, after a year or so of looking around, 16 years ago, Carmelina and I, we used the money to put down a deposit on a one-bedroom home unit here in, in Chatswood. And you know what? At that point, my name changed. I became Mr. Jeff Reed, Esquire, a member of the landed gentry. At that point, I had a piece of this world that I could call mine. Most of it's the banks, but and when I say a piece of this world, at least a volume of space under the Strata, Strata Titles Act, but something to call mine. But, but above all, above all, and this is what I keep, keep on hearing, above all, from that point on, I had given to myself and my family security and prosperity. Security and prosperity. That's what I'd got. That's what everyone told me. 
Of course, there is something to what people are telling me, isn't there? I mean, the fact is, in Sydney, people who own real estate are statistically more wealthy than people who don't. Uh, my dad was right about it. The units proved to be a very good investment. It's more than doubled in value in the last 16 years. In fact, I think it has earned, just by sitting there, it has earned more money than I've earned by all my work. And having real estate, it does mean it does mean a degree of security. If uh, if Chancellor Presbyterian Church gets sick of me and sacks me, I'll I'll, I'll have somewhere to live. Or, or if I die and you throw Carmelina and my kids out out of the church's house, well, they'll have somewhere to go. I mean, good luck fitting five people into a tiny one-bedroom unit in Chatswood, but at least they won't be living on the streets. Real estate, it does bring a measure of security and prosperity. And so uh, people, and particularly people in Sydney, they make massive sacrifices to own real estate. Uh, the average that I understand uh, Sydney people spend on their houses, on their real estate, is uh, around 30% of their income. In other words, they're working a third of their lives, a, a, a day and a half a week, just to have that place to live in. And if in interest rates go up, people don't sell their houses, they'll give up just about everything else. At one point, a couple of decades ago, interest rates, um, they went up to something like 20%. Property affordability went through the roof. It went from 30% to 50%. People had to spend half their income just, just on having somewhere on their property. But there was no big fire sale of a property in Sydney. No, no, instead people just tightened their belts and braved it out. People in Sydney are fixated on real estate. It's what we talk about. It's what we read about. It, it, we have TV shows about it. It's what the newspaper is about. We have magazines about it. It's what we dream about. It's what we work for. Uh, for many people, it is close to number one priority in their lives. And why? Because we think it's the way that we can give ourselves prosperity and security. We think real estate brings real security. In the year 586 BC, the nation of Judah, the Jewish people, they were defeated in battle by the nation of Babylon. The vast majority of the people were slaughtered. They were taken into exile. And their temple, the, the one that had been built by King Solomon with such grandeur, it, it was destroyed. It was destroyed and the people taken off into other countries in the Babylonian Empire. But then... Half a century later, 538 BC, the Persians defeated the Babylonians. Persian Empire took over from Babylonian Empire. And the Persians allowed the Jews to return to their land. Straight away, when they got back, the Jews 
uh, hoped to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. The temple was very significant to their religion. It was the place where God dwelled in a special way with his people. It was the place where they could offer sacrifices to, to have their sins forgiven. It was the place where the, the, the priests offered these sacrifices. And so as, as soon as they got back to the, to, the, to the land, to the promised land, they wanted to rebuild the temple. But there was all kinds of resistance. The other nations, the Gentiles who were living around Jerusalem, they didn't want the temple to be rebuilt. And so the Jews got discouraged from the job and they gave up the idea of building the temple. Okay. As we come into the book of Haggai, the date is now, it's very specific here in Haggai, the date is now what we would call the 29th of August, 520 B.C., King Darius is in his second year of ruling the Persian Empire. It's been 18 years now since the Jews came back to Jerusalem. And God speaks this message to Haggai. He says, I want you to give it to the Jewish leaders, to Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. God tells Haggai, he tells him what the Jewish people have been saying. They're saying, we're not ready to rebuild the temple. The time isn't right yet. But God, he's not impressed. He says, these Jews, they have spent 20 years building houses for themselves. They found plenty of time, plenty of opportunity to work on their own houses, but God's house, the temple, it lies in ruins. Verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time... For you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin. At this point, God challenges the thinking of the Jews. They're thinking it's not yet time to build the temple, but why? What, what's behind their thinking? What they're thinking is this they need to sort out their own lives first, build their houses get their crops and their vineyards fixed up. They think, to, they think they need to establish themselves first, then there'll be time to think about God and his temple. It's a little bit like what you hear on an aeroplane. Uh, you, you ever seen the demonstration that they give you on, on an aeroplane when, when you come in? They say, uh, if there's an emergency, oxygen masks will drop down from the seat above you. And then what do they say? They say this, they say, Make sure you put your own mask on first. Then you can think about helping the people around you. These Jews, they think they need to get themselves sorted out first. Put, put, put the oxygen mask on, on yourself first. Once they've done that, then they reckon there'll be time to worry about God and religion and, and, and the temple and that kind of stuff. God challenges their thinking. He says, your whole way of thinking is wrong. He says, do you really think you can sort your own lives out 
by yourself? Do you really think you can make yourself secure by the work of your own hands? God says, uh-uh, no way. Everything you have, everything you are, it all comes from me. I'm the only one who can give you security or prosperity. And at the moment, I'm not giving them to you. Why? Because you're ignoring me and my temple. Verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. They're trying to establish their own lives. They can't do it. Because God is the one who gives security and prosperity. And so God says, get that into your heads and get your priorities right. Honor me first. Build my temple. Verse 7. This is what the Lord, the Lord, Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. God goes on to say, I'm not going to give you any security. I'm not going to give you any prosperity. As long as you focus on your real estate and not on my temple, I'm not going to bless you. As long as you refuse to put me in my rightful place, everything will keep going badly. Verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Do you get the message? The The idea that their security or prosperity are in their real estate, in their houses, and the work of their own hands, it completely misunderstands who who God is, and it completely misunderstands who they are. These Jews have forgotten that everything they are, everything they have comes from God. He's the one who gives security. He's the one who gives prosperity. He's the one who gives everything. And so they need to get their priorities right. They need to straighten out their priorities. Worry first about God. Worry first about building his temple and making sure he's pleased. And then let him worry about the rest. Well, the Jews got the message. Haggai is one of the few successful prophets in the Bible. By God's grace, the leaders and people heard and understood what Haggai said. They feared God and they obeyed his word. Verse 12 Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. The people got cracking on the temple, and God was pleased. He, He said to them through Haggai, I am with you, verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came, 
and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. It's just three weeks after Haggai started prophesying. I would say very successful. And 24th day of the sixth month um, on our calendar, that is the 21st of September, 520 BC. Next Tuesday, be exactly 2,541 years ago, the day that the Jews started to rebuild the temple of the Lord Almighty, their God. Okay, can you see what's here in Haggai chapter 1? The Jews thought that it wasn't time to build the temple yet. Not until they'd sorted themselves out first, built their own houses, established their lives. But can you see where the Jews went wrong? They thought they were in control of their lives. They thought they were the ones who earned their houses and food and success. They thought their security and their prosperity came from the work of their hands. The fact is, God is the one who gives life. God's the one who gives the rain. God's the one who gives food. God's the one who gives drink. God's the one who, who, who gives shelter. God's the, one who, God's the one who gives everything. God is saying to the Jews here, you've misunderstood where your security and prosperity comes from. So he says, you've got your priorities upside down. And so the message is, stop focusing on your real estate Build my temple. Okay, friends. Let, let, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, we find out that this temple in Jerusalem, it was in fact a symbol, a shadow of a greater reality. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the true temple. In the Old Testament, God dwelled in the temple. But in the New Testament, we see that God himself comes to dwell with his people in flesh. All the fullness of God is found in Jesus. He is truly Emmanuel, God with us. And it, it's through Jesus that God deals fully and finally with our sin. It's not the priests and sacrifices of the Old Testament. It's the ultimate high priest, Jesus, who offers the ultimate sacrifice of himself on the cross. And, and, and that is what brings ultimate peace and reconciliation with God. Now, the Bible says, I've put it on your outline there. God was pleased, this is from Colossians, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is God's true temple. Jesus himself said the same thing when he was talking about his death and resurrection. He said, he said uh, I've put this on your outline again, destroy this temple, his body, and I will rebuild it in three days, be resurrected. For us, Jesus takes the place of the Jewish temple. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we can be forgiven our sin and be in the presence of God now and forever. And in the New Testament, what it does, it, it takes it one step further. 
when you put your faith in Jesus, the New Testament says you receive God's Holy Spirit. In a sense, God himself comes and dwells in you. And so we, God's people, God's church, we become God's temple. Let me show you when you outline from Ephesians chapter 2. Through Jesus, we both, that is Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two, the Ephesian Gentiles, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. If you are relying on Jesus, you have God's Holy Spirit living in you. And so you are part of God's temple, God's New Testament temple. And do you know what, friends? Like in the time of Haggai, we have a job to do. We have the job of building God's temple. Now, of course, God's temple isn't built by, um, it's, it's not built brick by brick anymore. It's now built person by person, as person by person hears the good news about Jesus and puts their faith in him and grows in Christian maturity. But we each have a part to play in building this temple. As we serve Jesus, as we lovingly speak the truth about Jesus to other people, we play our part in building God's temple. Uh, on your outline there from Ephesians chapter 4, the metaphor here changes from, uh, from temple to body, but the, the point is exactly the same. Ephesians 4, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, so that the temple may be built. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Can you see? There are some real similarities between the Jews here in Haggai chapter 1 and you and me. We both have a temple. And we both have a part to play in building this temple. And what God says to the Jews here in Haggai chapter 1, it's still true. It is still very easy for us to start to think that we make our own security and prosperity by the work of our own hands, by, by building our own panelled houses. It's easy for us to forget that our lives, our security, our prosperity, in fact, even our very next breath, are given to us as a gift from our gracious God. And so it's easy for us to make the same mistake that the Jews made here in Haggai chapter 1. It's easy for us to get our priority, priorities wrong. Uh, it's easy for us to start to think that we're, we, we, sh we should put the oxygen mask on ourselves first, that we should build our own houses, establish our own lives, and, and leave building God's temple to, to a more convenient time or to somebody else.
reminds me of that rich bloke in Jesus' parable. You remember the one who built big barns and filled them with crops? This bloke worked hard. He got himself a nice property portfolio. And then he said to himself, Jesus said, Luke chapter 12, verse 19, he said to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. He thought, I've sorted my life out. By that time, he might have even thought of joining a church now that he had nothing better to do. But you remember what God said to him? God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And so Jesus concludes, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. God gives us everything. We need to get that clear in our heads. And so, like the Jews in Haggai, we need to get our priorities straight. Again, Jesus put this very powerfully in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said on your outline there, don't worry about your life, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Is that what your life? Is that what your life is like? Is, is Jesus describing you there? You understand that God gives you everything. And so you get on with temple building, seeking his kingdom, his righteousness. You, you, you invest your life in people, in making disciples. You see every aspect of your life as an opportunity to serve Jesus and build up his people. Your work life, your home life, your leisure, they are opportunities for discipleship, opportunities for temple building. You busy yourself with temple building and you let God worry about sorting out the rest, the, 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 the transient trivia of this world like food or houses or bank accounts. Is that what your life is like? Is Jesus describing you here? Or, or maybe is your life more like that rich fool Jesus talked about? Friends, I hope you're not foolish enough to believe that you give yourself real security or prosperity. I hope you don't by the Sydney lie that real estate brings real security. I hope you're not putting off getting serious about Jesus, about serving Jesus and loving his people and making disciples until you've established yourself by the work of your own hands. Friends, let me put it to you as plainly as I can. This is the question that Haggai chapter 1 asks you. This is the question that it leaves you with. Are you a house builder or are you a temple builder? Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that all your fullness dwelled in him and that through him, through his life and death and resurrection, reconciliation comes to everyone who trusts in him. Heavenly Father, help us to trust Jesus and help us to get involved in building his temple.
Help us to see every aspect of our lives, our work lives, our home lives, our leisure, as opportunities to serve Jesus, to disciple people, to, 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 to build your temple. Heavenly Father, help us to realise that you're the one who gives us everything. Help us, therefore, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Give us strength to do this by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.